I believe that you're here open-minded, ready to hear uh, what God has to say this morning. So I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles over into the book of Acts, chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, verse uh, 19. I'm going to kind of piggyback a little bit on, on last week's message. Uh, the title of last week's message was Repentance, Refreshing, and Restoration, uh, which I'll read this verse again here in just a minute. But uh, last week, talking about repentance, we find that it's where it all begins. Amen? That Jesus came for a purpose to save us from our sins. Turn it down just a little bit there, bud. Uh, to, to save us from our sins, but he looks for confession from us. He looks for people uh, that are willing to turn. Remember what that ingredient, there's one major ingredient in repentance. Do you remember what that ingredient is? Uh, the admission of guilt, right? Admitting that we are sinners, we're in need of salvation. So I want to talk about the second part of this this morning. I want to talk about the refreshing that comes. So if you want to turn, if you're there, Acts chapter 3, uh, verse 19 says, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Pray with me, would you? Father, we come before you again today, and we are thank you for your amazing grace that breaks the chains, Lord, that hold us so tightly, Lord, in our flesh and in our humanity we know that we're facing a darkness that none of us are equipped to face. Uh, but God, when you deal with our hearts and you convict of, of our sins and we repent of those and commit our life into your hands, God, what a refreshing that brings. God, that you come and you begin to change us from the inside out day after day. And I just pray, God, that this morning you would use me as a vessel that under the anointing power of the Holy Ghost, God, you can bring a refreshing in all of our hearts. Restore us. Re give us a, re a revival individually in our hearts God, in which that we will look to you and we will serve you, God, with a freshness, not out of habit, not out of routine, but with a great passion and a great desire, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Everybody shout amen. 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 So if you remember, uh, this is Peter speaking here to a group of Jews who have come to, around the, uh, after the, the lame man was healed who had been laid at the gate of the temple, and Peter said, silver and gold, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I'm going to give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the guy was miraculously healed, and everybody comes around, and they're just amazed that this guy who they knew to be a cripple his entire life is now suddenly able to walk. And so as they're looking for answers, how many of you believe that there's still people out around the world today looking for answers? Amen. We're still looking for answers. We're not claiming to know all the answers. We're just claiming to know the answer. Amen? Capital A. The answer isn't a what, it's a who. Uh, so a lot of people looking for answers. These people come to Peter, and Peter said, look, guys, don't, don't look at us as though we were the one that healed this guy. This man had faith in the name of Jesus, which, by the way, the, the guy that you crucified, he's actually the one that has healed this man. And, and so as, as the hearts of the people are stirred, and they begin to look for direction, and they begin to look for answers, uh, in one instance, they, they come to Peter, and they said, what do we do? I mean, they realized, okay, we're not right with God, so what do we do to get right with God? It's one thing to go out and tell people, hey, you're not right with God, and that's important for people to know, but it, you know, a, a problem's no good unless you have a solution, amen? We can tell people their problems all day long, but we got to be willing to give them a solution. What's the solution to my problem? Peter says, repent. Repent. Turn from your sins, and then comes a time of refreshing. Amen. I love that. I love the thought of the word refreshing. I, I like to look at definitions in the dictionary just to, you know, see how the, the, I think I understand and know, 
what a word means, and I like to look it up just to see if there's something uh, different. Refreshing, you'll never guess what it means, to make fresh again, right? Now, isn't that deep, right? To make fresh again, uh, to revive or to renew. Okay, so here's what I got out of that. In order for something to be refreshed, it kind of has to have grown stale, amen? Refreshing always brings, a, refreshing always follows something negative, Okay, so if you, if you, don't, if you buy a, a brand new apple, or you pick an apple right off the tree, and it's, I mean, it's as fresh as it can possibly be, you don't say, oh, I'm going to refresh this. It's as fresh as it's going to be. In order for something to be refreshed, it's got to be unfreshed, okay? So if you're all hot and nasty and sweaty, that's when you go to take a shower to refresh yourself. You don't take a shower right after you got out of the shower, okay? So something's got to be Unfreshed. It has to be out of order. It has to be wrong. It has to be negative in order to a refreshing to do any good. The other day I was on the, I had some thoughts about this message, ironically, as I was on the treadmill. And that's not pleasant. I mean, I, if running is just not fun. People say, oh, do you, you like to run? No, I don't like to run. I like to eat. Uh, and so I run, therefore I, I, I can eat whatever I, I want to eat without guilt. And so, you know, running on a treadmill while you're running on the treadmill is, is not fun at all. It's, 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 torturous in a lot of ways. I start off thinking, it, oh, this feels good. I'm feeling good today. And then, you know, as, as a mile goes by, I'm like, I, I run two miles. By the time the end of the two miles, I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm just waiting for that thing to, you know, to make the corner. It's just, so it's kind of torturous, and it's not fun. It's kind of negative, but the refreshing comes afterwards. I mean, for me, once, once, you know, once I've, I've cooled down, I've had my shower, I've got dressed, I'm ready for the day, and I, I just feel better. I, I'm refreshed. And that's the way refreshing works. And repentance works somewhat the same way. And don't, you know, repentance isn't necessarily negative. It's a good thing, but it feels negative at the time. We talk, remember last week we talked about conviction. When you realize that you're not right with God and you feel guilty for your sins, that's not a pleasant experience, but it brings you to a place of repentance where then you can be refreshed by God. There is nothing more refreshing than getting your heart and your life right with God. How many of you can say amen to that? I want you to turn over. I want to go to just a couple instances here in Scripture. Uh, if you look in Luke chapter 7, I want to show you the refreshing. Now, if you're, if you're this morning and you've been saved, um, not just started going to church, but I mean you've, you've been saved. You've been born again. and you, you know what this is like. You remember that moment. That moment you got saved and you asked the Lord to forgive you of your sins, in that moment of repentance, when all that kind of washed away, it felt good, didn't it? You remember what that felt like? And in this instance here is a woman who experienced that. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36, one of the Pharisees had asked him, speaking of Jesus, to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Now get a picture of this. She began to, she's crying at his feet, and her tears are falling on his feet, and she begins then to take her hair and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee, the religious guy, when he, he who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this, woman were, or if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I've got something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher, which I'm sure if he knew what Jesus was about to say, he probably wouldn't have said that. But, uh, and I could go on and preach a whole message about what Jesus said to Simon, but I don't want to go that far with it today. I just want to focus on this lady. 
Okay, so it's, it's, it's important for us to understand that these religious guys, the church people, knew what kind of lady she was. She was a sinful woman. It doesn't go into the details of what kind of sin uh, uh, she, you know, she was involved in, but, the, but very good possibility she was a harlot or a prostitute or something. But whatever be the case, the community knew her as a sinful woman to the point where the church people didn't want nothing to do with her, and a Pharisee felt like, oh, if she touched me, I would, I would be defiled. And here this woman comes in. She knows of Jesus. She doesn't know him yet, but she knows of him. She knows probably she's heard the testimony of other people who have come in contact with Jesus and the hope that he had given them. And this is a woman whose life is miserable. I mean, let's face it, folks. People who are lost in sin, I know a lot, some, there's gonna, always going to be some people that like their sin and they're going to ride it all the way to hell with them. But there's a great number of people who are lost in sin that their sin's not doing it for them anymore. They don't like it. They, they want to be free. They're looking for answers and looking for hope. This woman found her answer in Christ. So she comes in and she's just so moved at the mercy that Jesus would give to her, that God would even give her the time of day for the lifestyle she's lived. And she's crying on, on his feet and she's taking the, the lowest, most humble place she can possibly take. She's wiping her, his feet with her hair. Guys, this is, this is not a picture of a woman who just had all the fun sucked out of her life. When we look at, a lot of times people don't come to Christ. We, 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 we compel people to repent and turn to Jesus. And people feel like when, when they do that, that suddenly their life is over. They can't have fun anymore. All the fun things in their life now are over. This is not a picture of a woman who just had all of the fun sucked out of her life. This is a picture of a woman who is being refreshed in the presence of God. Amen. This is a woman who now has Jesus in her life through repentance. Something, by the way, the church people weren't willing to do. This Pharisee and the church people were too prideful to repent. Remember last week, remember Matt's commercial, repentance, it's not just for sinners. Side effects may include love, joy, peace. That was brilliant, by the way. Uh, the religious people refused to repent. But here's a woman who knew and understood her sinful condition. Admission of guilt, Right? She admitted her guilt. She repented of it. Jesus brought refreshing, hallelujah, in her life. This woman did not find religion. She found Jesus. Religion's the last thing people need. If you'll hang a right into the, uh, chapter 19, we read of another man. You've heard of him if you've been in Sunday school any at all, Zacchaeus. In chapter 19, verse 1 says, He entered Jericho, speaking of Jesus, was passing through. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. And was rich. You know how he got rich? He was a snake, right? He was dishonest. He got his, made his living off of other people. He was very dishonest in the way that he handled people's taxes. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not see because he was of small in stature. He was a short guy. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, Zacchaeus wasn't necessarily per se looking for a change in his life, although that life he was living wasn't doing it for him anymore. He wouldn't really, but he knew he'd been hearing about Jesus, and he goes to see Jesus pretty much out of sheer curiosity. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't the Lord sneaky when people go to church out of curiosity and leave saved? Amen? Hallelujah. That's the way God's looking. He's looking for curious hearts, people who are seeking, people who are looking. And this man, who was just a snake in the grass and nobody liked him, 
because it had all been ripped off by him. But he hears about Jesus and he goes, I just want to catch a glimpse of him. He would have never guessed. He just wanted to see Jesus passing by. And a lot of people are okay with Jesus from that distance. Amen, by the way. We're okay with Jesus as long as he don't get all up in my grill. As long as he don't get in my business, I'm okay to keep Jesus in my back pocket. And so I'm just going to kind of watch Jesus from a distance. Not so, it didn't happen that way. Jesus, we know the story. Jesus walks up to him and calls him by name and said, Zacchaeus, won't you come down out of that tree? I'm going to go to your house today. The fact that Jesus would even care to, to, to talk to a guy like that, let alone go to his house, is an amazing thing. Speaks volumes about the love of God in that every individual is important to God. Regardless of our past, regardless of our sin, regardless of whether or not everybody else likes us or even if we're accepted at church. Jesus still accepts those who are looking for him. Amen? Calls him by name and out of the tree. So he hurries down and he receives him joyfully. When they saw it, the religious, religious crowd mostly, they all grumbled. Well, I go to church every Sunday. I pay my tithes. I do this. He's not going to my house. Jesus said, and we'll find this in the last verse, he said, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. I'm looking for the people who need to repent, who need to turn They're on the wrong road, and I want to get them on the right road. That's what repentance is all about. He he has gone into the the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. In other words, if he robbed somebody, he cheated somebody out of 100 bucks, he'd give them $400 back. Think about that. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Since he also is the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Just a little time in the presence of Jesus, receiving the love of God. Remember now, what we talked about last week, repentance should not just be done, it should not be out of a response of the fear of God necessarily. I mean, we're called to fear God and keep his commandments. And we understand that God is a God of wrath, and one day he'll pour his wrath out on sin. And we know that hell is a real place for those that reject Christ. And we need to know that. And we do respond out of that that healthy, godly fear. But I believe that our our true repentance shouldn't just come necessarily as a response to fear. It should come as a response to God's love. And that's what happened here with Zacchaeus, right? Uh, That Jesus shows him love, and in response to that love, And that holiness of Christ, the goodness of Christ, that's what prompted Zacchaeus to repent. And his whole life changed. This isn't a picture of a man who's trying to earn his way back into the good graces of God. I mean, he he says to Jesus, look, after spending a little time with him, he realizes how wrong he's been. He says, you know what? I'm going to give that money back. And in fact, I'm going to compensate him for for cheating him. I'm going to go above and beyond. He's not trying to earn the respect of Jesus by doing that. We have to understand that. I believe Zacchaeus is already saved. If he wouldn't have done that, he would have still went to heaven. But there was something in him. He responded to the love of God. He wasn't trying to earn favor uh, and get into God's good graces. This is a picture of a man who has now experienced the presence of Almighty God in his life who was convicted over his sin and in response to the love of Christ, repented of that sin and turned the direction of his life. That's what repentance is all about. Turning the direction of our life. We can't turn it. Amen? That's one reason that holds people back from repentance. Well, I can't change this about me and you can't. We don't, when we repent, we we don't change necessarily by repentance. We're just inviting Christ in to take over our life, and then he begins to do the changing. 
Remember the steering wheel analogy. We, we have control of the steering wheel of our life, and we take it where we want to go. And repentance, all we're doing is we're just handing the steering wheel over to Jesus. And we're saying, you, you change us. It's amazing how the Lord begins to change those who repent and turn their heart to him. Day by day, by the way. Amen? Zacchaeus didn't just start going to church. He started living for Jesus. It's a huge difference. We talk a lot about, we just, you need to get into church. You need to get into church. And that's true. People do need to get into church. That's a great place where we come and learn about Jesus, but we don't just need to get people to church, folks. We need to get them to Jesus, right? And then the church thing will kind of take care of itself. That's what happened. For me, uh, that's what happened when I got saved. I just suddenly wanted to go to church. That's how I knew I'd been saved. I never wanted to go before, but now suddenly I want to go. Now I want to be in his presence. Now I want to worship him. Now I want to learn about his word. So I'm not perfect yet, but I realize there's some changes that are taking place in the direction of my life. I was going this way. And now I'm going this way. And somebody says, well, how did this happen? I don't know. I can't explain it. It's a miracle. It's a spiritual birth, right? It's amazing how God does it. It's not done by psychology. We don't hype ourselves up to change. Jesus changes us day by day and little by little if we will yield our life to him. One other person we read about in Scripture here, and I'm not going to read all of this. This is found in Mark, the fifth chapter. But I want to read the first part of this so you can get a grasp of what this man's life was like. Uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes, and when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a graveyard, surrounded by death, a man with an unclean spirit. He was demon-possessed. He lived among the tombs, and look at this. No one could bind him anymore, not even with chains, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. This man was so consumed by demonic power that physically he had almost like superhuman strength. No one had the strength to subdue, subdue him. No human had the strength to subdue, subdue him. Night and day, this is the quality of this man's life. Night and day, among the tombs, on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. What a horrible life. Surrounded by darkness, literally controlled by the power of hell. He would cry and yell and scream and cut himself with stones. They probably could hear him in town. And they would try to bind him and get this guy under control, and nobody could do it. And everybody would walk by and say, what a sad sight. And one day, Jesus comes by, and the demons that were in this man recognized Christ. Amen? The demons, how many, of you, how many of you are glad that all the power of hell is still subject to the power of Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. And so the demons begin to, in a sense, cry out for mercy. Don't, don't torment us before our time. They know their time is coming. You remember the story. Jesus cast the demons out of the man, cast them into a herd of swine. The, the swine or the pigs ran down the hillside, ran into the river, and they all drowned. And the people in that area were all freaked out by the whole thing, and they're asking Jesus to leave. But I want you to see now... The way, now I want you to see the quality of this man's life. If you go down into verse 14. The herdmen, herdmen fled and told it to the city and the country, and the people came to see what it, was, what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the, look here, they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, um, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. He was demon-possessed and out of his mind, 
And now he's clothed and in his right mind. Amen? That's what repentance does. That's what refreshing is. It's a renewal of the mind, a changing of the mind, a deliverance from the power of darkness that has, you know, when you, before you got saved, you weren't necessarily demon-possessed, per se, but you were still under the control of sin and, in a, in a sense, under the control of the devil. Does that make sense? No, we're not foaming at the mouth. Maybe you weren't wallering and foaming at the mouth and growling at people, but we were under the control of sin ultimately, and the Satan pulled the strings. And when, you know, you know the, the puppet guys, the, well, the puppeteers has got the thing and the strings on there, and he can make that puppet dance and do whatever he wants it to do, and that's the way Satan's got control of the strings. And the moment, the moment we repent, the Holy Spirit comes along, cuts the strings, and then Jesus takes the strings. Amen. So here this guy goes from uh, being demon-possessed, crying all night, cutting himself, looking for some sort of relief to his life, and instantly he comes in contact with Jesus, and now he's in his right mind. He's renewed. This is a picture of a man who's just been refreshed, amen, by the presence of Almighty God. This is not a picture of a man who's trying to turn over a new leaf. This is a picture of a man who just got a whole new book, right? This is a man who just, whose story just got a whole new author, People try sometimes, well, I, I know, they know they're wrong in, in the eyes. They know they're not living right, and, and there's, there's a part they want to do what's right, and a lot of times people will try to turn over a new leaf. They'll try to do better. Well, I'll try not to, you know, do this as much. I'll try not to go there as much, and, you know, this and that and something. I'll try to do better, and no matter how hard we try to do better, we'll never do better in our own strength. Turning over a new leaf isn't what God's looking for. He says, I want to write a completely different story in your life. Amen. I want to be the author of your life. And that only comes, he can only do that through repentance. This man, he wanted so desperately to go with Jesus and rightly, and I can understand that. Jesus gets ready to, to leave. And if you read on down through there, the demon possessed man come to Jesus and he begs him, oh, let me go with you. He's been refreshed. So see what happens when God refreshes us and we come into the presence of God, we just want more of the presence of God. Amen. When, when, when I start getting a little bit dry and a little cold in my soul, that happens. That even happens to preachers. It does. When I begin to feel a little dry, a little cold in my soul, and I, I don't find myself longing for the word as much, or maybe church you know, is, is becoming a chore to me, and you know, I just start, I, that starts making me nervous. When I start getting stale like that and I start going through the motions, I just start getting nervous and because I don't want that. I want to want the presence of God. Amen. He has done so much for me. He has changed my life. I don't want to go back to the old life. I don't know about you. There's nothing back there for me. I don't want it. He's refreshed me and I want to continue to just bathe in his presence. So I start getting nervous and then there's just something. The Holy Spirit's like, come here, I'll give you a refreshing. And every time without fail, even though I've failed, Without fail, I go back to Jesus. I get on my knees. I get to the word. I say, Lord, just refresh my soul. And it's just like he turns on the shower of his spirit. His spirit will just wash over me and it'll begin to refresh me and it begins to pick me back up. Amen? The light had just come into this man's darkness. When you read, now if you're, if you're doing Bible study and you're just reading through the Bible, you'll come to Malachi and you'll read it. And Malachi was a prophet of God that spoke to the nation of Israel, and you read Malachi, and then you just go right on, and you start reading in Matthew. Malachi was a prophet speaking to the, nation, to the Jews, uh, calling them to repent like all the prophets did, and then you go right into Matthew, and we start reading about the birth of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, but what you might not know is this. 
though the Bible goes right straight from Malachi to Matthew, in history, in reality, there's actually a four, about a 400-year period between Malachi and Matthew. 400 years. Okay, so that, that they, uh, theologians call that uh, 400 years of silence. And what that, what that basically means is this. For so many years and generations, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all of the prophets are, are calling out to God, right? Or, or, well, they're calling out to God, but they're, 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 uh, they're, God is using them to speak to the people, calling people to repentance. There is a constant word from God for many, many years, okay? And even though people didn't like it, even though people didn't want to be told they needed to repent, and even though they killed the prophets, they were at least still hearing a word from God. But then there comes this point, Malachi, and then God just shuts it off. It's like a faucet, shuts it off. For 400 years, God just seemingly goes silent. There's no prophet. There's no preacher. It's just silence. God doesn't say anything. And then all of a sudden, on the world scene, Jesus shows up. Hallelujah. Now, for 400 years, if you can imagine not really hearing any word from God, especially with the Jews. I mean, the attitude of the Jews in that day was relatively... Pretty gloomy. Because then there's no prophet now. God's not speaking to us. We're, we're under the control of these Romans. God has forsaken us. And no matter how much we pray, it doesn't change. So the people were just in this place of despair and gloom. But I love this scripture. It's in Matthew 4 and 16. It says, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Hallelujah. See, what happened was Jesus now comes on the scene after 400 years of silence, and now Jesus begins to speak about God. He begins to speak about the kingdom of God coming to man. Begin to speak about how God loved them, for God loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son, right? And there was something, there was a refreshing that began to take place in the hearts of the people. I mean, you know, people responded to the light, Jesus. They responded to him in different ways, which, which basically was determined by how open they were to repentance, by the way, which we, we see that. Uh, you know, Jesus gave the, uh, the parable of the sower. You know, a guy goes out and he just sows or he plants a lot of seeds in different types of ground. And the seed in some ground that was stony, it would grow immediately, but then it, there was no roots. So the sun would come out and scorch that, and it would die. Some of the seeds came up among the thorns. And, and when the thorns grew up, it choked out the seed, and, and, and the fruit died. But some fell in good ground, and, and, and it grew, and it bare fruit, 60, 30, 60, 100-fold. So Jesus, when he's talking about these different types of ground, he's really just talking about the condition of people's hearts. See, the seed is the same. The gospel is the same. Everywhere Jesus went, he spoke the same word. He spoke the same gospel, but it was received differently depending on whether people were willing to repent or not, right? Some people were okay with this idea of Jesus, and oh yeah, I'll accept him, but when they realize that Jesus doesn't want to just be part of your life, he wants to be your life, then they kind of start, you know, backing off. It's only the ones that literally, full repentance, God, I'm sorry for the sins, I, I'm done with my past, I'm yours now. Those are the ones that God was able to raise up. So, but, but if you look at the majority of the Jews, at least at first, okay, as Jesus comes on the world scene and he begins to preach, he's, he's working these miracles, it's obvious that he's come from God. Even some of the religious people, Nicodemus was one of these Pharisee, Pharisees, 
And he comes to Jesus and he said, we know that you come from God. Nobody can do these miracles unless God is with him. So he's, Jesus has got the attention and everybody's excited. You know why? Because there's, there's, there's some hope. The Jews are, are thinking to themselves, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. The Jews had this hope now that they didn't have for 400 years. Proverbs says, uh, the hope of the righteous brings joy. So we, we see Jesus as he comes onto the world scene. You remember the, how Jesus comes into town at Jerusalem and all the Jews gather in the streets with their palm branches and they're waving their palm branches and they're cheering for Jesus. Hosanna, right? He that comes in the name of the Lord and this hope that Jesus has given them has refreshed them. They felt defeated. They felt like God had forsaken them. But now God has heard us. God's moving. God's working. And now they're perking up a little bit. It's amazing what a little bit of hope, how it can refresh people who are facing defeat. Amen? You know, uh, we went to Bakersfield. The baseball team played Bakersfield here a couple weeks ago at Bakersfield. And so we, we get there, and we, we led them the whole time. I think we were up 5-0 to zero for the biggest part of the game. And we got into the seventh inning, and that's all high school does, seventh inning, last inning of the game. And uh, we hadn't heard anything out of the Bakersfield crowd for a while. Okay, we'd been, we were whooping them. And then, you know, one of the Bakersfield boys get up and he gets a hit. You hear a little golf clap, you know. That's good, that's nice. Then another kid gets up and he gets a hit and gets on base. Well, then they score. So the clapping is just a little bit bigger. Oh, that's good. Well, at least we're not skunked. At least, you know, we got on the board. And then they scored again. And then they scored again. And, and then the crowd is going insane. It's amazing what a little bit of hope can do to refresh people. Suddenly, hey, we're still in this. There's a possibility. Now, our hope on our side was starting to go the other way, right? Our hope was something more like, God, I hope they don't hit this thing again, right? But they get on base. There's like, all it took, I think they got up to what, uh, I think it was like three to five maybe, four to five. They got up to, unfortunately, uh, one of them choked, and we won, but, but this crowd just came alive because of a little hope that maybe they were still going to be able to win, and that's what happened here with these people. Suddenly, maybe God hasn't forsaken us, and now there's a little bit of hope, and they snapped out of it. Now, for, this, for that group, I mean, their hope was a little misguided. It was a lot misguided, actually. Their hope and their refreshing didn't come from repentance. you got to understand this, that the Jews who are waving the palm branches and are, they're giving Jesus this big welcoming party, they think that Jesus is coming to defeat, to raise up an army, a worldly army, and defeat the Romans and set us free. And so they're not, they're not welcoming Jesus because they're sorry for their sins, because they want God to change them. They're sorry because of, or I mean, they're, they're rejoicing for what they think God's about to do for them. There's no repentance there. And so what happens then when Jesus, when they realize he's not raising up an army and he's been captured by the Romans, they turn on him and they are the same ones that start calling for his crucifixion. Kill him. They're, they're, they're refreshing all faded as their hope faded and their hope faded because they didn't get their way. They didn't get what they wanted so now they're turning on God. And do you think that we're still like that today? Oh, we'll serve Jesus and we'll worship him when things are going great. We're anxious to get to church. Things are going good. But then when things start getting rough and we don't get our way, 
then we have a tendency sometimes to just all that excitement and that refreshing is now kind of waning away. And many of the Jews, most of the Jews, they had received the seed in the stony ground. Things They're not getting their way now, so now all that refreshing and all that hope is gone. But what we read about the Christians, those who truly understood the true work of Christ and his, and his eternal glory, the Christians who understood why Jesus really came, that he came to die on the cross to save the world from our sins, not to raise up a worldly kingdom, but to, to save us from this sinful world. And that eternal hope is what gave them. Their, their refreshing continued because their hope continued. Their hope was found in Christ, and they knew that they were no longer living just for this world. They were living for the next one. If you look in Acts, you don't have to turn now, I'm going to read this really quickly. But in Acts, the fourth chapter, uh, you know, this is when the church is really getting, I mean, God has filled them with their spirit. They've got power. They've got anointing. You know, the, the, the lame man has been healed, so on and so forth. And, and they're being persecuted because of, they're preaching about Jesus. And they're being threatened uh, by the authorities to never preach about Jesus anymore. And look at what happens after they've been threatened. When they were released, basically from prison, from jail, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, this is their prayer now. After they've been threatened with their life and they've been beaten and they've, things aren't going their way in the natural sense, but they go to God and they don't say, Oh God, please don't let these people hurt us anymore. Oh God, please don't let us be persecuted anymore. That was not their prayer. Their prayer was this, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentile rage and the people, people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together and against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, who you anointed uh, both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the people to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined. And now look at this. Now Lord, look upon their threats. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place uh, in which they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That sounds to me like another refreshing They'd been through the mill. They'd been persecuted. And they, they, they didn't give up. They had truly repented. So they didn't turn because life wasn't going their way. They just simply went back to the source of the original refreshing. Amen? Hallelujah. This is, this is a fountain we're talking about here. I mean, the, the grace of God and the mercy of God and the Holy Spirit is not a one-time dip. I mean, it's something that we can just get under this fountain and God can daily and continually refresh us. Because we've just committed our failures and our weaknesses and our sins into his hand. It's, it's the seed has fallen into the good ground of our heart and it's starting to bring good fruit. You know one of the greatest fruits of repentance and that true refreshing has come into the hearts of God's people? You know what one of the, one of the first telltale signs of fruit are? It's the glow on a person's face. Amen. Just the smile, just our demeanor. Merry heart, see, what the scripture says, um, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. Your countenance is the look on your face, basically. But the glory of God, that refreshing, I mean, you can tell, you can tell when somebody's in pain. If you run on somebody at the store and they're like, 
you know they're in pain. You, and you're probably going to avoid them because you think, well, if I, ask, I can't ask them how they're doing. They're obviously, but you can tell by looking at somebody that they're in pain. But now if, say, say you go to them and say, are you okay? Are you okay? And they say, yeah, you just parked your car on my foot, right? But as soon as you roll the car off, they go, ah, oh, right? There's, you can tell by a person's face when refreshing has come. Jesus said, man, let me do what I want to do in your heart. And when you let me do what I want to do in your heart, it will begin to play out in every area of your life. Amen? That repentance. I want to leave you with one last thought here. It's actually it's found in, you can read about it. It's found in First Peter. I'm not going to have you turn there. But Peter is speaking basically to husbands and wives. It has to do with marriage. But this applies to every relationship, really. He says, to the church, to the, to the people, he said, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Husbands, show honor to your wives. Um, and the last part of that verse uh, says this, that your prayers be not hindered. Husbands, love your wives and honor them. Be respectful to them. Provide for them. Give your life for them if necessary. Because if you don't, your prayers will be hindered. Wow, think about that. Wives, follow the leadership of your husband. Come under his authority. Respect him and honor him and love him. Because if you don't, your prayers will be hindered. I didn't make that up. That's in the Bible. That your prayers will not be hindered. Why do you bring all that up, Dennis? Because I just want to make you think about something. Maybe God seemingly has been silent in your life for a little while. Just for a while, it seems like God hasn't really spoken to you much. Church seems a little dull to you, and there's no drive, and you just think, I, I just don't know why I can't break through to God. Every time I pray about something, it just doesn't, it just doesn't seem like it ever works out. Do some really good dip, uh, deep digging into your marriage. See how you're treating your spouse. Because here, here's the thing. It's, it's not too hard for us as Christian people especially to repent to God. If we sin against God and we do something or say something against God, the Holy Spirit convicts us of that. And it's not that hard for us to say, God, I'm sorry, and repent to God. And when we do that, God brings refreshing. But it's a lot harder sometimes for us to repent to other people. And it's important. Sometimes it may just be, it could be that your time of refreshing hasn't come yet because you have failed to repent to your spouse or to somebody else, even, that you've wronged. Jesus said this. This is Jesus' words. If you're offering your gift at the altar, this is Matthew 5, 23 and 24. If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. This is not something that somebody has done to you. Somebody's got something against you. You've said something, you've done something, whatever the case. You remember, as you're in church and you're putting your offering in the plate or you're offering your praise to God, he said, when you remember there that your brother, somebody has something against you, look what he says to do. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. See, what God is saying is that I look for repentance from you, but you need to be willing to repent to other people when you do them wrong. Oh, I get it. I get it. I feel the pushback. It's a hard pill to swallow. I get it. 
I don't know how many times. I wish I had a dollar for every time I've had to tell my wife I'm sorry. Repentance should be a way of life for us as God's people. Amen? Both in our relationship with God and in our relationship with other people. This part kind of came later. This is like, a, this is like a, an addendum or attachment to this message because I just come across it actually this week, this scripture, that your prayers be not, treat your husband right, treat your wife right, so that your prayers aren't hindered. I'm a pastor, so I hear a lot of things. You know, you, you guys a lot of times go through things, and it's just like, I don't know where God's at. I'm praying. Nothing seems to work. Our life just seems like nothing's working out. I, don't, I wish I had a dollar for every time I've heard that. I wish I've had a dollar for every time I've said that. And, and I think just simply God is showing us here in the Scripture, it could be that you're just withholding repentance to the people in your life that you really need to start making things right with. You get, you know, somebody mad at you or whether you've done it wrong or they've done it wrong or whatever, and it eats at you. You're miserable. But, you know, we're prideful and we want to hold on to that. I ain't going to tell them I'm sorry. And then they're going to come to me first. And, we, and we're just miserable. But, folks, when we humble ourselves and we make things right with people, it's refreshing. I've done it. I, believe me, I've eaten more crow probably than any of you. I have eaten more foot probably than any of you and had to go back and make things right. But it's just something that is refreshing. It's a release because ultimately God, God's mentality, the way God looks at it is this. You can't say I love God and say I hate people. He said it's, it's, just like, it's like poison and fresh water coming out of the same hole. It's not possible. Make things right with God, we make things right with people. Repentance just becomes a way of life. Put my picture up there, Jennifer, if you don't care. In closing, if you've ever used a computer much, you've seen this button on the top, usually generally the top left-hand corner of the screen. What is this button? It's the refresh button. What's it for? It's for when you're looking at a screen and you've been looking at it for a while. Maybe something's not working just quite right on there. And there's been something, you wanna, you wanna bring that screen up to date. You click the refresh button and it brings that screen up to date. This was the definition, I know I'm a geek. But I looked up the definition. I, I, I literally, and I'm not making this up, I, I Googled refresh button. And I wonder what, what, what Google, would, how it would explain the refresh button. And I kid you not, I Googled refresh button, and it pulled up a website called Computer Hope. I am not making that up. I should have screenshot that just so that I could prove to you that's true. Because we're talking about hope here, and the hope brings refreshing. And this website called Computer Hope, and it talks about, the re, in the refresh button, it says, basically, when you hit this button, what you're doing, you're asking the site to send your computer the newest version of the page you are viewing. Send my computer the newest version of the page I'm viewing. The glitches and the things that were wrong and the pictures that are no longer valid, bring the newest, most fresh version to my life. The old content is replaced with new content. Amen? And that's what the cross is all about. That Jesus, in dying on the cross, has made available to us, if you will, a refresh button. And it's called repentance. We get real with God. We get honest with God. We get real and honest with other people. And we repent of our sins. And God says, boop. And all of the old content, the bitterness 
the anger, the lust, and all the old content is replaced with the new. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? What kind of creature did the Bible say we would become in Christ Jesus? A new creature in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Bow with me. Father, we just love you today. We thank you for the refreshing that your spirit brings. For the salvation and the revival and the renewal that you made available to us through your suffering at Calvary. Today, God, I trust that your word has already began its work in us. I know it has for me. That hopefully even throughout this sermon today, uh, the wheels of repentance have already started. And so I pray, God, now that you just pour out that time of refreshing. Let every soul in this place today feel that touch. Feel that renewal, that revival. Hallelujah. Let every person today come in contact with your spirit that will lift us up maybe out of the pit that we're in. Show us the areas in our life individually that we need to address, that we need your help addressing. I pray that you give us strength to do it, to follow through. Pray that you would close the ears of the enemy who's always speaking to lie, always trying to convince us maybe that we've sinned too much or that we've not sinned that bad. But today, God, I just pray that you would be heard in the heart of every person. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. As I sing a song of invitation this morning, I'm going to ask you to continue keeping your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you don't mind. Right where you sit here this morning, I, want, I would like to encourage every person to just repent. <laughs> no matter how long you've served God, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for the way I've rebelled against you and for the ways that I just have a tendency to do my own thing. Let's have a good time of repentance here this morning that, that we might have a good time of refreshing. And if, if you're not saved this morning, if you've never been saved, and Jesus is dealing with your heart today, I've given you the word this morning. I've given you the tool you need. To change the direction. I'm not going to make it real hard and difficult on you. Tell you, you got to do this, you got to do that. It starts with you, you just being real with God. Say, God, I am sorry for my sins. Jesus, I believe that you died on that cross for me. I just, I welcome you in. I welcome you into my life. Take me, change me. Make me who you want me to be, and I'll serve you. That's what salvation is. That's where it all starts, right there in your heart. You're invited to come. These altars are open. If you want to come and you feel the need to come and pray, we'll